Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Atkinson Podcast. Today, we get an education from the Amish who are managing to achieve great success and even millionaire status without college or student debt. My most recent cover story on my TV program, Full Measure, highlighted the Amish approach to education. And maybe this wouldn't work for everybody, but I think there are components of what they do that are worth considering for us, especially since the Amish have had such success in their controlled environment, especially since we are all pretty much wrestling with the idea that college costs so much and that the escalating costs cannot rationally be justified and that many are having trouble making that college degree pay off or even finding meaningful work, and that so many are ending up with student loan debt that President Biden has announced a controversial and very expensive plan to pay off some student debt at taxpayer expense, but with no plan on how to address the core problem. Well, not to get too far off today's subject, but it seems to me there's a pretty simple way that Congress and states could attack the overinflated cost of higher education pretty quickly and reasonably. Any college that accepts any taxpayer benefit could be limited to charging students only what it costs to really educate them with just a small, reasonable amount added on. It's possible to calculate a professor or a graduate student's salary divided by how many people that person is teaching and figure out what it really costs per student for that professor or that graduate student also adding in a small amount for facilities such as air conditioning, heat, and supplies. And then when you're done with the real costs, maybe let the college or university add in another 15% on top of that for profit. But if they want to build these Taj Mahals and attract global attention and prestige and invest in crazy expensive real estate like so many colleges and universities are doing, well... Do that off of fundraising and endowments, not on the backs of the students. If schools don't like that idea and want to charge like they do now, whatever they want, well, don't let them get any taxpayer money. It's pretty simple. Be pretty easy and pretty quick to solve this tuition problem. But one big reason why that hasn't happened yet and is not likely to happen has to do with colleges having so much political influence because they contribute a lot to political candidates and get a lot in return, primarily Democrats, by the way. Let's take a look at the University of California, one of the biggest donors. They spent, according to Open Secrets, the Center for Responsive Politics, they spent $1.2 million lobbying in 2021. And so far in the 2022 election cycle, $5.1 million in campaign contributions. These are contributions made by people who say that they are affiliated with the University of California. In 2020, the University of California-affiliated people donated $4 million for Joe Biden and about a million for Bernie Sanders and about three-quarters of a million dollars for Elizabeth Warren, always Democrat and liberal causes at the top. For 2022, well, let me just read the top donations from the University of California as delineated by Open Secrets, one of my favorite resources, by the way. You can look for yourself at opensecrets.org. University of California-affiliated donors have given 
over a million dollars to something called DNC Services Corporation, the Democratic National Committee, a political party. They've given another $667,000 to the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, another $278,000 to the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, $250,000 to a liberal group called Future Forward USA, and to liberal candidates Raphael Warnock, $187,000, Mark Kelly, $106,000. The list goes on and on, lists of what Open Secrets calls liberal and Democrat causes and groups. I don't see anything red or conservative among the top recipients from the University of California. Anyway, it looks like that at a lot of universities. They give a lot of money to political candidates at the state level and at the federal level. And I think we can assume that's a big reason why not much is done about the ridiculous out-of-control education costs today. At least nothing's being done to address it with the universities and colleges themselves, although they get taxpayer benefits. Back to the Amish. Now, typically, the Amish attend school through eighth grade. That's it. They go to these one-room schoolhouses that look pretty much like A lot of schoolhouses must have looked in the 1920s and 1930s. The buildings are very small. They sit all the kids in one room through the eighth grade with the eighth graders sitting further in the back and the younger kids further up front. They typically don't have indoor plumbing. They don't have electricity or air conditioning. In fact, when I went to visit one, there was an outhouse where the kids used the bathroom. Super clean but very rudimentary. They have a well pump out front for water that you actually have to pump. I mean, just no frills. And the kids get their education through eighth grade, and that's it. And yet, that's enough for them to learn enough to get a really good job in their communities. And part of that is because the way the culture works, they start working well before they graduate from eighth grade. Many of them go to work with their dads, after school from the time they're seven, eight, nine years old on. The boys will go out on the farm. The girls will find ways to maybe bake and start an online business or raise puppies with their family at the home. They're always working and doing something and learning a trade. By the time they graduate from eighth grade, they're ready for full-time work. You're going to hear more about that today from some of the Amish themselves. And when I suggest that we may have something to learn from their approach, it's not to suggest that it would necessarily work nationwide for everybody. Of course, even they acknowledge times are different than they used to be. Some students may need to or want to go to high school and college now. And they know that certain jobs require higher education, such as that of a doctor. But still, their culture of instilling discipline And work ethic and the love of work in children from a very young age is pretty remarkable, and I think there's a lot to admire. The first man you're going to hear from is named Philip Weaver, and I got to visit his small empire built on his dad's eighth grade education. Well, we sort of call this the Shady Maple Plaza, but the two main buildings in it is the Shady Maple Smorgasbord building and then the Shady Maple Farm Market. Okay. The farm market was started in 1970. The Smorgasburg building here was started in 1985. 
What did your dad build with an eighth grade education? Basically, this was, in a nutshell, this was my grandparents' farm, my mom's parents. They farmed produce. They had a roadside stand out at, uh, it's sort of between where the farm market would be and the barn would be. There was a house there with a roadside stand. And they did really well. That's like a little bit the idea that you see a lot of roadside stands in the community today. And uh, so my dad married my mom, and he grew up on a dairy farm. And he's, he always, they like they had back in the day maybe 40 cows. He said, I'm not going to have 40 cows, I'm going to have 200 cows. Well, instead of a dairy farm, he built a, uh, the, the farm market. And the first building was... It was like 50 by 50, if I, if I remember right. And then we built on every year after that for the next 13 years. And, uh, and then even more to the building that it is over there today that I think, I think the total is like 125,000 square foot. So the farm market and my dad always wanted to have a restaurant. So that was going quite well, building every year. And then the first smorgasbord building is over across the parking lot where Kish Furniture is today. So we built a building and then five years later we expanded that there. And it got to the point that we were having up to like 4,000 people on a Saturday. But everything was just maxed out. We couldn't build any bigger or grow. So then in the year 2000, well before 2000, it took five years. We had the plans to build the building that's here today. And we built the first phase of the building uh, we didn't have the banquet center on at that point in time. And then, of course, the gift shop downstairs went from like 30,000 square foot to 40,000 square foot, what it is today. On a busy day, how many customers do you have? The average day, Monday through Thursday, is between 3,000 3,500. Fridays are 4,000. Saturdays right now are between like 6,500 7,500. Before COVID, we were busier, but we also took a lot more buses. The way we do things right now, we just can't take all the buses. Most of the reason why is because of help. Uh, but before that there, we were probably averaging more on a Saturday, like 8,000 people. Uh, the biggest day that we have of the year is Mother's Day. Uh, that's, we're not open on a Sunday, so it's Mother's Day Saturday. And the biggest day was, I think it's around, right around 11,500 people. Wow. So, it's still almost, I don't quite understand how we did it. Uh, this last Mother's Day we did, did I, think, I think it was 9,500, which was still a pretty big day for us. Now, when we do that, we have all the bars open that you've seen today. And then over in the banquet side, we have another half a bar over there. And we have drinks and hot and cold beverages and things like that over there too. Our story looks at success with a high school or eighth grade education in this community. What are your thoughts on the idea? Your dad had an eighth grade education, built a lot. You have a high school education. When you're not here, it's almost like it's been a given that you have to go to college. And yet a lot of kids are graduating now and they don't have a place to go and they have a lot of debt. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I don't know. I would not recommend anybody only has an eighth grade education in this day and age back you're talking in the 60s going into the 70s my dad had many of his friends are all were all entrepreneurs that all made large businesses as of today that their kids are taking over uh, I do feel that you need at least a high school education uh, business has been has got a lot more complex than it was my HR person said the other day that we have issues today and she's been here for like 38 years 
We have issues today that we never had before. And because of that there, there's no question you need at least a high school education and a good one. But college, some forms of it might help, but I'm really concerned about college of today coming out with 100 plus, 100 plus thousand dollars of debt and not having a job that can repay that debt quick enough is putting a lot of people in severe hardship. Some of my son's friends are that way, then I know quite a few of them that are doing something really good with what their education was. So for some reason, you, you all your kids did get additional education post high school, it sounds like. Right. Why was that? Did you encourage it? Was that just their choice? And then what's your reflection on what they got out of it? Well, you're going back like 10 years ago, I think a little different than I think right now. Uh, just because I, I could have went to college, but my dad said I need help here, so we started out here working. And uh, so pretty much, I guess, uh, my things changed by, at one time, I just thought that my kids probably need to go to college. I very much encouraged them to go. They did pretty good in school. They sort of wanted to go. And, uh, you know, I thought it was a good thing. Looking back, I'm not sure. It, there's just so many jobs, especially in this community, that you can get from plumber to electrician to construction worker and a lot of different things that you don't technically need a college education for. My one daughter's a nurse, the other's going to be a teacher. Jobs like that, you definitely need some form of college. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but just to be a worker in the, like, get a business degree of some sort, yes, my, my, both my sons on the computer are a lot more literate than I am and can handle themselves on it. I'm sure they learned that more than just high school, though high schools today teach a lot more than I learned in high school. We just had our 35th class reunion uh, last week. So there is, yeah, I see what my kids learned in high school versus me. It's, it's way up. I think every, every, the schools are doing a great job in that. Um, can you quantify, however you're comfortable doing, just sort of how much business your enterprise does in a year to give people an idea? This isn't like a, I get the sense it's not like a $50,000 a year industry, you know, enterprise here. No, I, I guess I'm good to be safe. I'm going to say it's a 40 plus million dollar business between. A year? Yes, between both buildings. Much more after a short break. All year round, there are challenges to keeping your skin healthy salt, sun, chlorine, cold, and wind. That's why I designed Siren A Cosmetics, a line of skin-loving, handmade products that will keep your skin glowing year-round. I'm Star, owner of Lemonade Mermaid at store.lemonademermaid.life. I worked hard to formulate fresh, vegan body butters, lotions, scrubs, lip glosses, and more with ingredients that are good for your skin year-round. But don't take my word for it. Check out our reviews. My website is store.lemonademermaid.life. And listeners of this podcast can get 20% off my Mermaid Moon Gloss to Balm lip gloss by using the checkout code PODCAST. I hope to see you at store.lemonademermaid.life. We're back, and now we're going to hear from lawn care business owner Calvin Lapp. His wife grew up Old Order Amish, so that's school only through the 8th grade. His mom grew up Old Order Amish through 8th grade. He grew up in a slightly less strict 
environment, Amish Mennonite, where they started their own high school. So he went to school through 12th grade. Tell us what is the norm in the Amish community and in general in the Plain community? Well, the norm for the Amish community is eight years of school. In fact, you don't go more than eight years of school. That would be bad news if you would. So they don't have kindergarten. And they all have uh, first eighth grade in one room. One teacher, maybe two. And you have about 25 students there that have no, no busing, so everybody walks to school. And uh, so the difference between them and the Amish, I'm Amish Mennonite. Now our school, we had 100 people grades one to eight. And I also chose to go to a high school, but it was our own local high school, private school. So all the teachers would have been from our church and things like that there. So I did go to high school, but the Amish don't do that yet. So when most of the kids get out of eighth grade or high school, do they typically stay in the area? And what do they do for work? Oh yeah, they stay at home. Usually the, the, the difficult part about it, 10, 20 years ago, they all worked on the farms. And so you could always use eight children to help on the farm. A lot of them raised the back end, corn and things like that. Now it's down to probably 20% of them that aren't on the farm anymore. And so now a lot of them are getting other jobs. It's, it's been a tough thing between 14 and 16 because they're not really supposed to go out on the work crew till they're 16 years old because a lot of the work crews go down to Philadelphia. And so the union's been running the Amish off the off if they see a 15 year old working there. So they can't take their kids there, which they'd like to. And so they're always fighting the child labor laws. But uh, right now, a lot of them will go to market, um, different markets throughout the area when they're 14 or 15, right out of school. In fact, they'll even do it when they're in school. Like a lot of them will take their children to market if they work there, the parents and take them there when they're 12, 10, 11. I mean, you work with your children from the day that they're born pretty well. I mean, that's teaching them how to work is so important for them. What if there's people, Mark told us how much he loves his work. Yeah. But what if people on the outside look in and say, what a terrible life for children. They don't go to much school, they work all the time. What would you say? Oh, I, I was hanging out with a lot of kids the other day, last week down in Texas, and I'm like, I pity the kids terribly. They don't have it near as nice as my children do. I mean, what's nicer than having puppies to play with? What's nicer than going out to the garden, picking fresh, fresh vegetables? What's nicer than riding a mower, you know, at eight years old. And, you know, we, we, have, we have fun. I mean, <laughs> we can go swimming in the afternoon. We have a pond on our property a lot of times. And so, no, it is, everybody looks at the Amish and think we're restricted. We look at the rest of the world and they're like, it's sad to be English. <laughs> but also I think um, it's not as though, I think some people view work as a terrible, hard thing you have to do. And it doesn't seem like it's necessarily that way here. It's not viewed as a terrible, horrible thing you have to do. It's not. In fact, uh, my mom said the worst thing about maybe going to heaven is maybe we might not work in heaven. So she's trying to figure out how she can go to heaven and still be able to work. <laughs> so no, we, we enjoy our work. We won't do a job unless we enjoy it. Um, so yeah, work is not a tribulation for us. Learning is a tribulation, you know, like, my child he just graduated from high school and I probably should have just went through eighth grade with him, my Kyle, and he, he's like, Dad, I can't wait till the last day. I want to go to work. I want to go to work. And he had like four or five jobs that he had in the evenings. He'd, he'd come home from school and run to market on Tuesday nights. He ran to market on Friday nights. And then he took a work study where he worked at an Amish place that made uh, Meadow Creek grills, uh, fire pits, and he'd do that every afternoon, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And, I mean, his last day of school, he was so happy. And now 
this summer he's just like this is far better than going to school well i know i'm not asking you to brag and i know you don't want to but can you describe just because we need to know uh -huh. this what your business does the success of it you know what you've built how big it is and how successful it is okay uh eagle lawn care is a business i have and that's we go in the yards and we kill the weeds and fertilize them and i'm doing that with uh well, my son and my son-in-law and two other people and the Amish love nice yards, so I got over 3,000 customers, half of them are Amish, and they don't like dandelions, they don't like weeds in the yard, and they like nice places, so they're willing to have me come in there and, and do their yard. Um, I started from 100 customers, um, now I'm up over 3,000, and I never advertise. But what's nice, if you get into one Amish family, they have eight brothers and sisters, so they tell all their eight brothers and sisters, and soon you have all that family, and they tell all their eight brothers and sisters. And so just word of mouth is, everybody tells everybody about you in this area, so it's, it's an easy, if you're Amish, and they know I speak their language, so if they know I'm from the Amish, they trust you right away, you can almost get all their business. Can you tell me what some of your kids are doing? Because again, how many kids do you have? Eight. You know, maybe a family of eight if there's one outside, they might be trying to figure out what to do with their kids. Their kids might be trying to figure out what to do for work. Um, yeah. What about your kids? Well, my kids don't have a problem finding things to do. Sean has, has uh, raised puppies ever since he's been nine years old. So that was always his job to get out and feed the dogs and take care of the puppies. He just got married here last summer and so now my youngest daughter has the puppies. So she has about four dogs that she raises puppies from, takes care of her. That's her responsibility. And How old is she? She's 14. And as soon as she comes home from school or work, she runs out to her puppies. She loves her puppies. That's what she lives for. And then my other daughter, she loves baking. Over COVID, she learned how to make macarons. And so she bakes about 30 dozens of macarons, sells them to markets wherever she, wherever she can. How old is she? She's 16, yeah. And then Kyle, like I said, he was probably during school was running five different jobs at one time. Now he's out of school and now he's down to three jobs. So. And he just, he just loves working. I mean, he has so much fun. He loves to cook, so anything that's, that's with making brisket or barbecuing or things, things like that, there they do. So yeah, our children, I know Chrissy came home one day after school was over and she was about crying. She said, I hate it at home, I wanna go work, I can't stand it, don't make me keep doing this. And you know, they just wanna go out and meet people and work with people and go out to market or, yeah. When you say to market, what is that? That's where they make soft pretzels at the market that she works at and sells. But it I mean, a, when you say a market, what oh, is it? Oh, it, it's, it's a market that the Amish have. There's like maybe 15 stand holders. And the market she goes to is down in Germantown, Maryland. Selling and so they're selling like soft pretzels, chicken, fried chicken, delis, donuts. And, and all those are Amish made businesses. You know, I know people that make donuts and become millionaires just selling donuts to the people at these markets. And yeah. Are there millionaire? Are there millionaires among the Amish? There's, yeah, lots of millionaires among the Amish, yeah. Um, making money is, seems to be easy for them, um, in this area particularly, and yeah, there, there's... Anything else for people on the outside looking in when you're thinking of the topic of the story, which is, you know, success with an eighth grade education, what would you say? Well, I, the one thing that impresses me about the Amish and that they stress that I think they do so well with is they teach their children discipline. So you teach them to love to work. You don't have TVs in front of them, so they're not sitting there at the TVs or on their phones for hours and hours. They're, they want to do something. They want to make work. They all like to, they like to have nice things, so they all want to buy things. So they learn from eight years old that when you sell things, I mean, you'll see eight children along the road selling little horseshoes that they paint eight-year-old children. 
I mean, it, you always know when you get into Amish country because at the end of the driveway, there's always these signs that they're selling something. So they just got that drive. I don't know if it's a German drive or if it's the Amish drive, but we want to sell. We just, just selling is just fun and making money, counting their money. I mean, we, we work hard for it, but we appreciate it. And, and, and yeah, they like nice things too. You know, you, we think they drive horse and buggies, but the horse and buggies are $20,000 for just a horse and buggy. So they're not much cheaper than a car. So they, and then the land in this area is expensive. Like we had a mile from here, there's a house sold for 1.2 million with one acre and it was nothing special. It was just an Amish house with a, another end that the grandparents lived in and it brought 1.2 million. So to buy land here that everybody wants is, it costs a lot. So, and to be a good Amish, you own your own house. <laughs> so they try to do that by the time they're um, 25, 30 years old. You know. Last question. Um, why do you think it is that college isn't a necessity here? I don't know what college would help anybody here. I mean, maybe you could use it to do your book work a little bit better, but why not just pay the accountant to do that and you're a better salesman or you're better at doing other things. And it's, it's you're wasting, like I got a cousin, that, you know, I have cousins that are, went to college and by the time they were 25 years old, they might've been $100,000 in debt. Well, most Amish people, by the time they're 25 years old, if they were working since they're 15, making 50,000 a year, that's what, six years? That's 300,000 to the good. And they can live at home for free. So, you know, wh why would you, that's a $400,000 difference by the time you're 25. I don't think you're gonna make that up the rest of your life with a college education. And then by then you have your own business. I mean, most Amish people have their own business by the time they're 26, 27, then they make, you know, three figures. And so it's, yeah, I mean, we. If, if you look at the medium age of how many, much money the Amish have compared to the rest of the world, it's it's far ahead of even our English neighbors. The Amish, everybody knows the Amish are the ones who are, where the money's at. Okay, thank you. And now we hear from one of Calvin Lapp's sons, Sean. I just turned 30 a couple months ago, and I also got married about a month ago. Congratulations. So, yeah, we're on four weeks of marriage. So start what you were telling me. I asked you about your house because I know mm -hmm. you said you were just moved, but you bought that earlier, but you, that wasn't your first house. Tell me about that. Yeah. So my, my first house, I was 21, and it was pretty much something that my father had said I should do as soon as I possibly can. Buy the house I, yourself. Mm -hmm, yeah. My dad had taught me that I need to invest my money for a house. At, already at the age of like 14, 15, he was talking about it. And yeah, I, I had about 50000 saved up to put down into the house. When you were 21? When I was 21, yeah. From doing and, lawn care work or other things? Um, I was, I started with carpentry. I was helping Amish, uh, a couple different companies for like the five years coming out of um, grade school into high school. Over the summer I was doing carpentry work. And then out of high school, I would have continued that for a couple years before I helped my dad. Um, and so I would have had, yeah, a fair amount saved up just a lot of it is because my education didn't cost too much. Um, we have private school, but that's still fairly reasonable. It's nothing like college, like paying the 20000 or 30000 a year for college. Um, when you, at age 21, had $50,000 saved mm -hmm. and could buy a house, but you hear about young people who graduate from college mm -hmm. and they're in debt $100,000 yeah. or more, what does that mm -hmm. make you think? I. I haven't thought too much about it, especially that age. It's something that I grew up with in this area. All my friends 
were investing in something big and weren't planning on college. Um, but yeah, looking back now, I feel like I'm extremely blessed just not having to worry about debt at all. Um, and just it just feels like if you're under that bondage of always trying to pay something off, um, yeah, it feels like it would just slow my, my motivation to keep working Can because the work is going into paying the debt rather than into something that is going to be more profitable. Can you explain yeah. how it's just a way of life that it seems like young people here have a track they're going to follow? They don't mm -hmm. wonder, am I going to go to college? What am mm -hmm. I going to study? What will yeah. I do when I get out of college? What is it like mm -hmm. here? Well, here I, I was growing up with dad always, um, like at a really young age, 10, 11, 12 years old, I was pulling the hose around um, for the, his landscaping job. As a little boy, I would have been yeah, even after school, coming home at three o'clock, dad would pick me up some evenings and I would uh, help him work for a couple hours. And so just at a really young age, dad taught me that, um, yeah, work is, is important, even, even at that age, and to learn the discipline right away. Um, I mean, as an adult, you see the value of that, but mm -hmm. as a kid, were you miserable? Do well, pe people look from the outside <laughs> in and wonder, are these little kids working yeah. so hard? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I always look forward to my dad coming home from work and sometimes he would come home early and take me, take me to work. And that was, yeah, to me, it was always a joy um, to be able to spend time with dad rather than be at home with mom for the whole day. Um, and I think some of that had to do with just being at home. Um, we didn't have the, the entertainment like TV um, and video games, things like that. And so there wouldn't have been that, that push to be entertained behind the television screen all day inside. Um, so work is almost a way to get out and it is. socialize mm -hmm. and be entertained in a way. Yeah, yeah, it was something I really look forward to, especially doing it with your dad. I mean, who else would you rather do it with? So would you say the kids in general are not miserably being forced to work? I, I would definitely, yeah, say that most of them really wanna be out with their father working at a really young age. Um, and that's why it's really hard for me to see the state require an older age to work because for me that young age was it was just a way for me to get out and enjoy life with my father um, and hard work doesn't hurt anybody especially at a young age you can yeah there's so much I learned through that um, the discipline I feel like there's more of an em emphasis on enter or not entertainment on uh, education right now rather than discipline and I feel like that's where we're going wrong as a as even as a culture or um, in U.S. in general, younger people are learning more about, they're being pushed into education much more than they are being pushed into discipline right away at a young age. Um, and I feel like discipline is gonna get anybody more ahead than education will. And last but definitely not least, we're gonna hear from Mark Zook. And wait until you hear what he and his family built on an eighth grade education. This interview is a little bit harder to hear because it was noisy where I did the interview with him in his shop, but you'll get the gist of it. My name is Mark Zook, M-A-R-K, last name is Z-O-O-K. We have Stolsu Structures, which Stolsu's is a very popular name in the area. We have Zook Cabins, which is a cabin modular business, Horizon Structures, and then the other business here is Real Asset Investing. What is your position in the company? Stolsu Structures, I'm a partner, and Horizon Structures, I'd be CEO of Horizon Structures. And how old are you? 29. 
how, how far through school did you go? Eight, eighth grade. Is that typical? It is for our community, yes. Yeah. So some people go to high school, very few people go to college. Is eighth grade more the norm? In the Amish communities it is. In like the Mennonite communities, high school would be kind of the norm, but in the Amish it is eighth grade. And you have, there's nine of you siblings? I'm the youngest of nine. Okay. Can you tell me just a little bit about the tradition, how it works here with school? I mean, you said eighth grade is the norm for, for the Amish community, but can you tell us a little bit for people who aren't familiar with what education means and in terms of that and your success going on to actually work? So growing up in our community, you always work from little up. So in the summertime when I wasn't in school, I'd use it be at the shop. And then pretty much as soon as I came out of eighth grade, I started working full time. That's pretty normal for our culture and community as a whole. Um, you're taught work ethic from little up and you just grow up in it so you don't really know any better. As you know that um, in the non-Amish community, Mennonite community, college has become considered sort of a norm, even if maybe not everybody does go to college, it's considered expected. What is your view of looking at what's happening in that world versus what happens with kids here who go through, say, eighth grade and then on to business? I see the value of college in certain areas, medical, different areas you need a college degree. Um, what I see a lot of people go to college and then they don't use 95% of what they learned in college. And then by the time you're, you come out of college, you're mid-20s, you got student debt, and now you get into the workforce. For us, we come straight out of school. We have no option but to work, and we love it. So it's something that our community works. They enjoy working, and it's something that's ingrained in us to work hard, work well, and we, we enjoy it. I assume this tradition goes back a long, long time, so it's not like everybody was going to college and someone decided one day we don't need that. This is just what's worked for, I guess, generations. Is that accurate? Correct. A lot of people years ago, a lot of the, especially Amish, that grew up farmers. There's still a lot of Amish farmers. That's starting to go away a little bit where more and more Amish people have their construction business or different businesses. So going back 50 to 100 years, most people worked on farms and that's how they grew up. And then the parents would pass the farm on to the children and then they would just keep going that way. In um, other communities, it's not unusual for people with a college education to be sort of wondering what they can do for work, having a tough time and in debt. How common is it for someone your age or anywhere over age 20 or so to not have a job and not have some measure of success at least trying to support themselves? In my circle, zero. I honestly don't know anyone that is looking for work that doesn't have work. Okay. Um, do you know how much business your company does? Like, is there a way to quantify so people understand? I don't know how businesses talk. Like, we do X amount of money of business per year. Stolsu structures, we do about 40 million a year, and then it varies per business. Um, so, combined between the different businesses, 75 to 100 million. 
He said, in case you couldn't hear very clearly, 75 to $100 million a year. So interesting. I'm not suggesting that the rest of the entire world can or should live exactly like the Amish, but when you look at this topic and see surely we could learn something from their approach, you may wonder why nobody seems to be trying to do that. I would suggest it's at least in part because there's no money interest who benefits from what they do, so there's nobody pushing it. Unlike the topic of student loan forgiveness, there's nobody in this case donating to Congress or to politicians to get them to take up the matter of examining what the Amish may be doing right. There's no lobbyists writing a proposed law or a federal regulation and slipping it to Congress and federal agencies to pass to get us to look at what the Amish might be doing that we might copy. If you're interested in this topic, you can watch the story I put together about it on my most recent episode of Full Measure that aired on TV Sunday, September 25th. You can find it by going to fullmeasure.news online and watching the replay. Now, our search function on the website at fullmeasure.news does not work very well. I've been trying to get that fixed and have not been successful so far over eight years. But if you're listening to this past early October 2022, you might be better off to go instead to cherylackison.com Click the Full Measure tab, and you will see a link on that page that takes you to all of my cover stories. There you can search, and the search bar works. You could search under the word Amish, or just scroll through the cover stories and find it. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you'll share this podcast and leave a great review. And now you can support independent journalism, which has never been more important, by visiting CherylAckison.com and clicking the Store tab. There are some thought-provoking and fun products designed exclusively for independent and free thinkers like you, with proceeds from sales benefiting various independent reporting causes. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.